All right, Ephesians chapter 4. As we're considering how to relate to one another, we come this morning to a couple of significant topics. They might, they might tie us up a little bit, certainly give us something to think about. Ephesians 4 gives us one of the most familiar one another's in the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Kind, not a complicated word. You, you, whatever you have in your head is probably pretty much the root of its meaning. It just has a, a sense of goodness at its core. Uh, so kindness, goodness that we show to others, we're to be kind to one another. That's really broad. It feels almost as broad as love one another. And yet, uh, it's funny how the world capitalizes on some of these simple virtue words, and you'll see kindness on shirts and sweatshirts and choose kindness or be kind. Well, the Bible's telling us as believers, as we relate to one another, figure out how to run your actions and words through that sieve to make sure that kindness is actually what you're communicating. Uh, So be kind to one another. It expands on that. The verb imperative kind of carries over. So be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. And that's an odd Greek word, whereas kindness is kind of simple. Tenderhearted takes us back into the Greek ideas of emotion and feeling, which was all wrapped up in the body. And so the word has to do with like the bowels, you know, stomach or intestines or organs, because somehow they felt like that was this kind of core place of the feeling or emotion or empathy. Uh, So there's this element of compassion that's in this word tenderhearted. It's often translated that way in some the English Bibles. Uh, you may say this rarely about somebody, like they're just, they just have a tender heart. It's just like you might describe them as a sweet person, and that's not like to make them out to be a sissy or something if it's a man. It's just communicating this biblical concept. There's somebody who, who's good at, at just empathizing, uh, expressing or understanding someone's expression of emotion. So those are two commands that aren't based on spiritual gifting. They aren't based on personality. They're based on a walk in the Spirit. So if you have the Spirit, you may be, as people tend to say, oh, well, I'm a prophet. Oh, so you run people over and never give any thought to their feelings. Well, that's kind of the stereotype. And while you may see things black and white, This simply means for you, you might work a little harder at making sure what comes across in stark truth and stark conclusions is still done in a way that could be characterized as kind and compassionate. Well, then he adds to that uh, another uh, expression here. Not only should we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, now this description of forgiving one another. And here uh, is one of our meanings for forgiveness. The word forgive in your New Testament is often this word, which means at its root is the word charis or grace. So 
You're to be a giving, a gracing person, uh, someone who shows favor, even undeserved favor. And certainly forgiveness falls into that category. You've clearly been wronged. They don't deserve your kindness, and yet you're going to forgive. You're going to extend grace. That's one concept of forgiveness. Often when you read the word forgive in the New Testament, it'll be another Greek word, which literally means to release. It'd be like taking your dog to the dog park and unclipping the leash and letting it run free. it's, It's the actual freeing, the letting go. You were holding on, and oftentimes when we've been wronged, we're holding on to that offense. We know exactly what they did. We feel the pain, and so we have a clear understanding of it, and we're going to hang on to that. That's power is what it is uh, because we'll use that against somebody. Uh, But the New Testament word for forgive is to release that. You let it go. Uh, You don't get to bring it up again and use it against somebody. Um, So there's that releasing, which is to let it go. And then there's this extending or the giving of grace. So as you read of forgive in the New Testament, it's probably one of those two words. And obviously they, they go together. But they both have their own kind of picture there that helps us understand something of forgiveness. Now, in our text, we have this word forgive, uh, and you may or may not remember your studies of English. If you're schooling high schoolers, maybe you've had a refresher course. Uh, Forgiving one another is a participle. Now, a participle in the English language means you have something in a verb form, in this case, forgiving. That sounds like an action, a verb. But it's actually serving to describe something else. So in our verse, we have to look back to see what does forgiving one another describe. It's it's acting as either an adjective or an adverb to describe something that came earlier in the verse. So when you look back... In our verse, what, is, what could forgiving one another be describing? What do you think? Where are the participle experts? Everyone who smiled, it's because you know you're an expert at participles, right? <laughs> what do you think? Just take a guess, and if you're wrong, I'll, I'll do my very best to graciously cover for you. <laughs> If you had to pick one of the couple of ideas in this verse, there aren't, there's really only two to choose from. Yeah, the proximity makes, makes me think tenderhearted. Yeah, because the, because the verb to be, to, that action or that you know, existence word to be is for be kind, be tenderhearted, because they're together, you could pick either one. And the, the being kind and tenderhearted is, let's mash them together because that's the essence of that verb being used for both of them. This kind, tenderhearted kind of person often expresses that kindness and tenderheartedness in compassion. And so when you have a participle like forgiving one another, it's telling us maybe how kindness is shown. It's just giving a, a pretty clear example of when you would need to be t- kind and tender-hearted, when you'd need to have a little compassion, and it's when you're forgiving one another. So this 
Participle looks back to the verb. It's going to describe that verb. It's going to unfold it for us. It's going to show us what kindness and tenderheartedness will look like. And often it will look like forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a pretty sticky issue. Um, there's, there's a real strict Bible understanding of forgiveness, and then there's kind of a colloquial understanding of forgiveness. The strict Bible definition is going to go through steps and come to a certain outcome, and when that outcome is reached, we have the full picture of forgiveness. Speaking more kind of generically or commonly, um, we talk about forgiveness and you should forgive anybody, you should forgive yourself, you should, we, we use the word kind of loosely and it doesn't always carry its theological weight. Um, even, even on the news, you know, you'll see somebody who is a victim of a crime, they may have never even heard from the perpetrator, the perpetrator may not have said they're sorry or confessed or sought forgiveness and yet they will kind of volunteer, well, we've already forgiven them. Well, that, that's... That's virtuous, and, and that's the colloquial use of forgiveness, but it's not truly forgiveness based on the theological nuance that unfolds. Uh, Roy, do you have something you wanted to throw in there? Well, you know, forgive 70 times 7, but what about the wife who was abused by her husband, and he comes back every time and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. At some point, truth and sometimes forgiveness seems like it has to be based on actual repentance. Right. And that's what I want us to explore here for a moment uh, because we, we have a clue here as to where we should begin with our understanding of what we, we should know about forgiveness in its full picture. Because we're told in our kind, tender-hearted approach, which often is going to be manifest in the opportunities to forgive one another, we, we know what that looks like based on what we see in the rest of the verse. We're to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And now it's as if we can crack open a huge systematic theology and begin studying all the nuances of how God forgave us, how God forgave us in Christ, and what that forgiveness means to us now, and how did we get that forgiveness? So there's all the theology now and this expression of God in Christ forgiving us. And so if we're told to forgive just as God forgave us in Christ— then we would obviously be instructed by asking, what are some observations we make about how God forgives us? So throw out any ideas that come to mind about how, how does God forgive us? What does that look like? How does that happen? How can we say we're forgiven of all our sin? Roy? Well, he forgives us of everything even the things that are besetting us and we are even clinging to, but his forgiveness also is tied to his sanctifying work in us of things not yet repented of in reality. 
Is his forgiveness, what was the last part of that? Things we haven't repented of in reality. We say we're sorry that we keep doing them, so that's not biblically, that's not true repentance. So what would, what would you, what would your hypothesis be then? We're not forgiven of those sins? We are. I mean, positionally we are, and he is forgiven. Okay. So, so that, that's getting somewhere then, because um, in our minds we're thinking, well, if somebody hasn't repented of something, how, how can they say they're forgiven? Well, we've got to start kind of at the beginning. Let's say somebody has repented of sin and believed in Jesus as the only hope of that forgiveness, of a righteous record before God. So they're, they're following Christ, they're saved, they're what we would call a Christian, um, and they lose their temper and they sin in anger. Well, would we say they stand forgiven in Christ? Well, yes, in their position of having come to faith in Christ, yes, they are forgiven in the sense of they are not facing condemnation eternally for their sin. I could jump ahead in my notes and say we would call this forensic uh, forgiveness, a, a, a kind of a legal definition of uh, understanding forgiveness. It's judicial in nature. A judge has ruled when you came to Christ that you will not face any condemnation for your sin. However, John, give us a thought. But, you know, the, but it's not a case of overlooking the sin. It's a sin that's been paid for on the cross. The wrath of God has come against that sin, but it's put on Jesus that we in faith have believed upon Christ to have taken that wrath that we deserve. So a reminder that that sin, that anger that the Christian indulged in, that sin was dealt with at the cross. God poured out his wrath on Christ. we, We sing of this. We hear it taught. Uh, we, we understand that. Our sin was dealt with there. And once we are in Christ by faith, Romans tells us, there is now no condemnation, meaning we don't get to heaven and give an account for sins committed, even since our salvation. Judicial, forensic forgiveness. It, it's ours in Christ at the moment of salvation, and we, we're eternally forgiven. Um, but then we read in passages like the Lord's Prayer, uh, we, we make this request, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A conditional prayer saying, if I have the spirit of forgiveness toward others so that we can be restored in this human relationship, then I can seek the Lord for forgiveness of sins that have interrupted our fellowship and our relationship. Um, If one is forensic or judicial, we could call the other one like familial forgiveness. When you sin against your child, lose your temper or something, or they sin against you in disrespect, uh, it's not that they're no longer your child, you're, you're not a parent, you're done with this, they've lost their standing. No, all of that is there. But clearly, this needs to be dealt with in order for relationships to to be repaired. Uh, it would be the same in your marriage. You're not unmarried because you sinned against your spouse. 
but that needs to be dealt with. There, there's this offense there, uh, and, and that needs to be cleared out of the way. That sin needs to be pushed into the light, dealt with, identified as, as my sin. I sinned against you. Please forgive. And they release that, and it's gone. There's that restored fellowship in the family relationship. But it never threatened the forensic relationship, the judicial standing that you are married. Uh, So there's kind of two ways that we have to think about this idea of being forgiven or not. Um, and, And we'll explore it some more in conversation, but there's condition to this matter of forgiveness, no matter how we look at it. Did you have something else there, John? Right, and I was looking at just two other, and I think you're covering that in the last part. It was uh, the prodigal son. I mean, he came to his father in, in repentance, saying, I'm unworthy. And so the, but the father, he, you know, it's not the father giving his righteousness to that son. It was the father choosing to forgive. So I sense a different level of forgiveness in one sense. No, I think so. I think we have to be nuanced because um, the language of forgiveness is nuanced and its use in different contexts is nuanced. Uh, are, we, are we talking about what forgiveness looks like when God forgives sinners who, who come in faith to Jesus and they are converted, they are changed, they become a new creature, they're adopted? All that language of salvation, that, that is a, a context of forgiveness that needs our study. Um, but then as a Christian, which is where most of us are thinking now about forgiveness, what does it mean to be forgiven by God? Well, First John tells us that when we sin and confess that he's faithful and he's just. He's faithful to his promise that this is how forgiveness will come, and he's just because he looks at the work of Christ and he knows that was sufficient to cover that sin, and so it stands forgiven. But that forgiveness that he gives us now is the forgiving us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Um, there's a condition there. We, we can't keep asking God to forgive us for our shortcomings, our missteps, our failures, our sin, if we're not forgiving others. And, and we don't have that spirit of reconciliation and forgiveness toward others. Uh, there's a hypocrisy there that stands in the way of you being right with God. So the question that arises out of the text immediately, uh, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. The question is, is God's forgiveness conditional? And what's the answer? Yes, it is. Um, the, very, the very fact that we have a description of eternal judgment Um, a place called hell that apparently unbelievers even now have a foretaste of in some form before death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. Um, The fact that Judas Iscariot, who in unbelief died and access went to his own place of of judgment, uh, all that language of unbelievers being lost is clear that there is a condition to forgiveness. It's not handed out to everyone. So forgiveness is based on a condition. And what is that condition on which God extends forgiveness? 
agreeing with God about our sin, repentance. Um, and we know that from the simplest, you know, plan of salvation that we could shape in our minds. Uh, we know that from the clear language of Scripture. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, we have to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So if we're dealing with sin, we're, we're looking at the side of the coin, which is repentance. The other side is faith in our salvation. We're looking at the repentance side of that heads or tails coin, so to speak. And we want to see what is my response to sin? And it's this agreeing with God. That's what confess means, to say the same thing. So I say what God says about it. It's an offense against his holy character. I stand guilty. Um, once I've done that, once I've said what sin is and I've turned away from it, now we're getting to the belief side or the trust side because I'm saying this cannot save me. This will ruin me. I need, I'm trusting Jesus. So that repentance and conversion is always this turn from one thing, from self-righteousness and sin to Christ. That's why I said it's kind of the two sides of one coin. They're inseparable. You don't repent of sin without faith in Jesus. Now, there's, there's worldly sorrow. Where's that? Uh, Corinthian, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, versus godly sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow that can say, oh, I really messed up. I regret. Even I'm sorry. But they're not saying, I hate sin, and that was what I was clinging to when I should be treasuring Christ and clinging to him. But true repentance is also a turning to Jesus. So there's a condition to that for forgiveness, and it's, did I turn from sin to the value of Christ? Did I repent? It's conditional. How does God forgive us in Christ? Well, it's based on our repentance. Judicial forgiveness. God is the judge, and he demands repentance in order for you to receive forgiveness. Well, what do we do with Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? It almost sounds like, well, they don't even know what's going on. They don't know how great their sin is. So regardless of their repentance, forgive them. A blanket forgiveness that just falls over everybody there. The Romans, the, the, the Jews who hated Jesus. We get the thought that somehow this was an exception or some kind of contradiction to a clear condition everywhere else in Scripture regarding forgiveness. It seems to me like that would be in the same category as Jesus weeping over the unbelief of Jerusalem when he, as God, created those people in Adam and chose some of them for repentance and some of them for destruction. In his humanness, he still wept over those that he had ordained for destruction. Mm -hmm. He prayed from a human perspective for general forgiveness, but not with godlike effectiveness on that. Because if he had prayed as God for their forgiveness, they would have been forgiven. So there's an element there that could send us down a path of at least thinking through the yeah, the humanity of Christ, a uh, general desire for them to be forgiven. Um, 
But I think we also have to reckon with the fact that Jesus would have understood the theology of forgiveness. And when we really look at those words, we have to ask ourselves, did Jesus extend forgiveness to anyone? No. Is he, who is he talking to? He's talking to his father, and his prayer is that forgiveness would be possible. Well, if he were on a mountaintop somewhere praying that, we might have to wrestle through like, well, why is he saying that in that moment? But when he's dying on the cross, and John 3 says that when the Son of Man would be lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. That gospel call rings out from the cross. Well, on that cross in the instant of providing for the salvation of sinners, and Jesus is saying to his Father, forgive them, he's essentially saying, let this work not be in vain. Let this be the very grounds by which anyone who believes can be forgiven. He's simply stating what we see then through the development of the New Testament, unfolding what happened at the cross, that that is where Redemption happens. Without the shedding of blood, there is no covering. There's no remission of sins. And Jesus knew that. So while he was about to give his life for that payment of sin, he's saying, let this be true. Let this be the amen of all your promises to provide a way of salvation. So it was the the stamp of amen. This will work. Father, forgive them because I'm giving my life and shedding my blood for their sin. So that prayer isn't a blanket issuing of forgiveness. It's an amen to everything the Bible has told us up to that point about how God would forgive. And it would be through this perfect uh, sacrificial lamb. So even in that case, that, that verse is often used to argue against conditional forgiveness. But generally the the angst we feel about conditional forgiveness is when we apply this now not to salvation. We generally understand that. Repent and find forgiveness in Christ. It's in our relationships where we are very hesitant and with, with some right understanding, we're hesitant to say, I should forgive someone conditionally. We tend to hear more like, oh, well, you should just forgive unconditionally. Just forgive or you'll become bitter. You know, you just forgive no matter what that person does or what they say. And there's some truth in there. If we read Romans chapter 12, we see things like God saying vengeance belongs to him, not to us. And so we should seek peace as much as lies with us and not seek vengeance or, you know, vindication or even validation. We don't have to do that. We can trust God with that. Let him be the judge. So yes, you shouldn't be pursuing vindication and always demanding that it always be set right. Um, You should be ready to forgive. The Psalms speak of God this way. He's full of mercy and ready to forgive. Obviously, He gives his son and extends this gospel call and says, listen, the gospel goes out to all nations. Come, repent, return, the prophets would say. In our relationships, we should have that same spirit of we're extending this call to, hey, I'm I'm willing to reconcile. I'm willing to work through this. 
I'm willing to make it right. I'm willing to forgive. Relationally, I, I don't get too bothered if somebody says, I, I forgave that person even though they've, they've never made it right. Uh, you know, I forgave that person that abused me when I was a child even though they're dead and gone now. I, you know, that's fine. What they're communicating is my spirit is not seeking to be made right. I'm not hanging on to the offense. I have the spirit of letting it go. But in our relationships, if we are going to forgive others as God has forgiven us, God's forgiveness ends in reconciliation where everybody, the guilty, once guilty, and the judge, God, we all sit down at a table together and enjoy the marriage feast of the Lamb. There's perfect reconciliation, and that is the end of the true definition of forgiveness. It's the releasing someone from the offense. It's showing grace because they've repented. They've met the condition, and now that offense is gone, and we are reconciled. We can sit down and fellowship at the barbecue together. Because it's true forgiveness. That's how God forgives us. So, when we forgive others, that's the model. It's just we run into this little problem in relationships. Sometimes you're walking in the Spirit, and though you've been hurt greatly, you're ready to forgive, and that person could care less. They don't even agree that they hurt you. That's your problem. You're too sensitive. What's the matter with you? And and you're not going to get any repentance from them, any request for forgiveness, no confession. Now what do you do? Well, that's where you lean on these other scriptures that steer us down this path of forgiveness, but show us you can't make somebody reconcile with you. All you can do is be ready to forgive and not be hanging on to those offenses. You can't have this list of all the people that haven't made things right with you, and you can pull it out of your toolbox and say, oh, see, here's another one. I've got another tool to use against them. No, we're supposed to be ready to let it go, longing for that reconciliation. Um, In this life, we often don't get that. And so we do have to battle against the bitterness that can creep in. We do have to make sure we're not bringing up their offense in our minds against them or to them even. Um, That's not our task. Leave it to God to accomplish justice, vengeance, as it's called in Romans 12. Um, But recognize just because you might say, well, I've forgiven them, it might not always be because there's reconciliation. You might be using forgiveness in a context of you're explaining your thoughts, uh, even though it hasn't reached that full reconciliation. Uh, what thoughts or questions do you have regarding forgiveness here? Uh, John? I'm thinking of the proverb about it, uh, overlooking an offense or offenses. So, you know, that there's a benefit in that it covers a multitude. Of and, and in this case, I could see kind and tender hearted as your response but you're not really forgiving in the sense that if they haven't repented, then there can't be this full-blown forgiveness as you've been explaining, but you can be kind and tender-hearted, and that would be the overlooking aspect. It's just how I'm... Yeah, so John's trying to pull in some of these references, Old and New Testament, about 
you know, how love covers a multitude of sins. And, you know, there's, there's, we might call them petty offenses that that person probably shouldn't have said that that way to you, but maybe in kindness and compassion, that could be a realm where you exercise this sense of forgiveness where I, I don't need to pursue that. Um, so that's it's another factor in our thinking here. Uh, what What is that category of things that are covered in love? That, that I just don't, I, why do I need to be right in that? Why do I need to make that person, you know, understand they hurt me then? Obviously, if it's a pattern and it's your marriage, sure, you talk about those things, but that's just a conversation to be had about when does love cover sin. Uh, Roy? When you set up what you said about that section, you said something about Jesus not offering forgiveness, and I wasn't sure what you meant, how critical that was to your argument, but what came to mind was the man that he had healed and he said, uh, take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven you. And then he said, the miracle was to show that I have the power to forgive sins on earth. Where does that factor in? I think it just reveals that he does have the power to forgive sins. Uh, on the cross, the question is, does he say, I forgive you, you know, go back to your homes and be forgiven. No, he's, he's making a request to the Father, which draws attention to there's something about this event happening on the cross that is, is obviously pretty complex. He's not taking the liberty in that moment to say your sins are forgiven. He's, he's in this place of now bearing the sin of the world, and yet this is going to be a default to to God, to, to reconcile this matter of forgiveness based on the work Christ is doing right there on the cross. So, yeah, it's, it is significant to the argument, I believe, but it doesn't take away Jesus' power to, to say, you know, your sins are forgiven. Um, all right, what else? Yeah, Dennis? In, you know, in the broader, you're, you keep making my mind go back to Romans 2 and in a broader perspective of, Paul talking about the wickedness of man, there's this one phrase in verse 4 that uses the word kindness and repentance together. Um, he says, you know, he talks about the riches and kindness, forbearance, and patience of God. People not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And it seems like there's a great parallel there that God's kindness led us to repentance. And it's a reminder that in Ephesians 4, it needs to be our kindness that even if somebody is not ready to be forgiven, that hopefully will lead them to repentance and put them in a perspective, in a position to be forgiven. Yeah, in Romans 2 there, that the kindness and patience and forbearance of God is designed to lead them to repentance is, is an argument against their arguments toward God. You know, they'll stand before God, and the Bible says every mouth will be stopped. And it's because the kindness of God was designed to lead them to repentance, which would only show them greater kindness of God and his forgiveness, where he would be kind and compassionate and ready to forgive. Kindness is all around the unbeliever. Um, that the, the common grace, yes, but even the kindness of God to be displayed and his forbearance to allow them to see 
that grace and to repent. And yet they don't because Romans says, chapter 1, they're, they buried their head in the sand and they refuse to see uh, who God is and what he's done. Not only in the wonder of creation, but in the reality of being able to deal with their guilt and sin. All right, what else? Any thoughts there relationally or in the bigger picture of forgiveness? Daniel? Um, well, I was just looking back through the chapter, and he starts chapter 4 um, talking about uh, urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called to. And I kind of find that he concludes it in verse 5, or chapter 5 in the first two verses, mm-hmm. where we are to love each other, and then also to walk in that love as Christ loved us. So to understand what being kind means, he gives a bunch of illustrations chapter 4 of what that actually looks like and then kind of capstones it and says because you should be imitators of God and then walk as Christ walked yeah it's good bookends there chapter 4 earlier on you know walk worthy of your calling Uh, well what what does that mean well as it unfolds you realize well my calling is to become more and more like Christ and by the time you get to chapter 5 it just lays it out really clear be imitators of God just like little children imitate, you imitate God. So that, that swallows up, verse 32, that we forgive others because we see how God has forgiven us. Um, again, God's forgiveness is, is complete and it's sure and it's, it provides great security and stability to our relationship with him. In human relationships, we long for that and true forgiveness Repentance and releasing should allow for that security as well. It's just we, we are often dissatisfied with feelings of it's still not right. Let, let me just ask you this. If you could think back through relationships, people, employers, churches, how many of you could raise your hand and say, there, there are clearly relationships in my past where there are issues that were unresolved? Anyone say that? I mean... It, who can't? The question would really be, who has the most severe story? Because <laughs> most of you probably have something that's pretty significant, and you'd be like, that was, that was like life-shaping in those years. And you could still look back and, and be crippled by the weight of some of those things you went through. And you long for that to be made right. You love certain people that you would love to Wrap your arms around and say, it's good. It's fixed. I forgive. Thank you for confessing and forsaking. You you would love for that to happen. And God says, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to have a spirit that longs for forgiveness and reconciliation. You're going to have to do everything that lies within you to make peace. And even then, sometimes we just have to trust the Lord. Trust him to bring about that reconciliation or, or trust him to, to vindicate and to set it right. That, that's where we are. So your burden is not to fix everyone else. It, it's for you to have that spirit of forgiveness always. So if somebody has wronged you, you stand ready to forgive. And if you have wronged others, you recognize you, you have to make that right. Um, so focus more on ourselves, even though it's easy to think of the people that have sinned against us, and, and we, we don't feel like this is right, and that's because it's not. 
Um, but it can be right between you and God. And that, that's where we do have what we'd call that sense of responsibility. That's what I can control. Um, all right, anyone else? Right there, Paul. Kind of going right along with what Dennis and Daniel were saying, that uh, thinking about the forbearance of God, but then it was also thinking about the command to bear with one another. Um, and then what Daniel was saying there at the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, verse 2, that we're bearing with one another in love, um, you know, quite literally tolerating each other in love. Um, mm-hmm. And the, but it's a command, not just tolerate, but to do it in right. loving, forbearing, suffering with, and then also suffering, suffering them, maybe is the mm-hmm. way of putting it. Yeah, it would be an old English way kind of, of saying it. Um, I think that helped. I think the bearing with is good because forgiveness, we, we're anticipating the formality of like a confession and granting forgiveness, whereas the bearing with, it kind of helps us feel this spectrum of offense where tolerate, uh, back to John when he referenced the love covering a multitude of sins. There, there are probably times, and I, and I think of marriage, um, not my own, uh, where somebody has to tolerate somebody else's stuff. Um, that It's good to think of bearing with them. It's it just, all right, just let it go. That's not, you haven't been sinned against. Just bear with uh, and hear it as a command. I know it's frustrating. I know you feel riled up on that. Tolerate, bear with, suffer a little bit for their sake in love. So realize there's, there is that spectrum there. And again, I'm not saying don't ever raise concerns. I would say the opposite. Communicate about things. But boy, uh, in your own heart, figure out how to bear with, how to forgive, how to cover a multitude of sins. Jonathan? Kind of the same theme. I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 6, of the lawsuits between brothers. And uh, Paul says um, to have lawsuits with one another at all is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Um, but you wrong and defraud you and your brothers. Um, and this point of just kind of the spirit of not self-seeking and I'm going to yeah. stand up for me to the nth degree. Um, and that's a, that's a helpful text because clearly there's not resolution there. The, the innocent party is going to take it on the chin, so to speak. They're going to suffer the loss, but he's saying you have to have a spirit that's different than seeking vengeance and being right and being vindicated. Um, suffer the loss for the sake of Christ and, and representing him well. Um, there's a lot here. And so if you, if you start thinking down this path and have questions about forgiveness, feel free to ask, but, but start by wrestling with a really familiar verse. Be kind and tenderhearted and forgive others following the pattern of God forgiving you. Um, and then when you run into a dead end, like, well, they're supposed to, they are supposed to repent, and then I forgive them. Okay, what does the Bible say now if you're in that condition? And just keep exploring, you know, kind of a flow chart. What are the options here? How could this end? And a lot of times you get to a question mark, and it's just faith, got to trust God there. Or this one ends with me. I have to release. I have to stop bringing this up. I can't keep saying, well, that time when you, no, that's not forgiveness. You grabbed back onto it. And with our kids, we can do this easily, right? 
because they do the same things over and over again. And while it's okay to show them a pattern, and maybe this is what sin does and you need Jesus, it's not helpful because of our frustration to, to keep hitting them with that tool when we walked them through this idea of forgiveness and we said we forgive, but really we just put it on the list of their offenses and we'll, we'll show them that it keeps getting longer. Um, We've got to be careful in, in how we're communicating uh, even forgiveness to our kids. Daniel? I was just going to add, we're not here to get results. I mean, we were never here to get results. We're here to be faithful in what we're supposed to be doing. And at times, we want to get the result of the other person's actions, and we don't get the victim. Those are God's to deal with that person with. And we may get to play a part in that through our faithfulness, but at the end of the day, we're not here to change even our kids. We get to be an instrument of God to change um, them through him. Um, I think I said that right. I think so much of this boils down to we want to we want to um, have finality to all these things where God still has um, progress to be made in another person's life. Yeah, so Daniel's point that uh, we get fixed on results. He used the word finality. What's another real common word we want Closure, right? You hear that word often. Well, guess what? You don't often get it in this life. Um, that's the struggle of faith. Um, so, so even in these broken relationships, you want it fixed, and it, and it doesn't sit with you. So you feel like you're agitated. You have to do something. It's because you're not trusting. You commit that care to the Lord and, and, and let the peace of God that passes all understanding. It defies what you're thinking, because you're agitated because this isn't right. Well, okay, let peace transcend that understanding. Yours is limited. God's is not. So let God's peace come. That comes only when you trust him and you stop focusing on closure, finality, results. They're not in your power to grasp. Uh, You can't change the heart of someone else. God can, so you trust him. Um, and, and all that bears into forgiveness. You know, we, we think it's about somebody offended us. A, a lot of it's about, are you ready to trust God? Um, so wrestle through this. this is, I'm glad we could get some discussion going from this common verse. Um, this week, you're going to have an opportunity to deal with someone else in a one another in regards to how they treated you. It may be, love will cover a multitude of sins. Maybe tolerate, bear with them. It may be we need to talk about forgiveness. This, this was a, a hurt that would be helped if it's communicated um, and dealt with. In all of those, a spirit of kindness and compassion. Uh, whatever sense of feeling comes out of the very bowels of our soul, like however we, we feel and relate, it's the essence of relating, Lean into that, uh, and remember, God did that for us, so we, we can work at this just as God did. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Next time, you can look ahead, and maybe we'll have some more discussion. A couple one-anothers that flow uh, from Ephesians 5. Uh, why don't you start reading for your assignment, so to speak. Um, 
I don't know, about verse 15 or so. Daniel already got us into verse 1, so just read all of chapter 5. There's a couple one-anothers there at the end, especially regarding submission, um, which is, like forgiveness, is a nuanced and often misunderstood word. So uh, submitting to one another, uh, let's, let's figure out what that means in the context of all the other roles and authorities and everything else. Uh, what does that look like? So look ahead and maybe we'll have uh, some thoughts to share there as well. Father, uh, our plates are full just to think on this matter of forgiveness, uh, especially when we think that our relational kind of standing as far as sweet fellowship with you is contingent on us having a heart of sweet fellowship with others. Uh, don't let us hold on to offenses, uh, lest our prayers be hindered as we seek sweet communion with you. Uh, from that simple model prayer that you gave us, let us feel the weight of being a kind, tender-hearted, forgiving kind of people. Um, and maybe even today in a, a quiet moment, uh, you would give us faith to cast some care to you, some past hurt, some broken relationship, some longing for restoration. And we would trust you and rest in you and find you to be sufficient should we never have that feeling of reconciliation or restoration. Uh, This is the kind of faith we long for, not because people don't matter and reconciliation doesn't matter, but because we want to be satisfied in whatever you are to us and for us. So help us as we Think rightly here so that we might live rightly toward one another this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.